0: Page uh, 840, let me pray before we read. Our Father, thank you for uh, presenting Christ to us in Scripture so that we know uh, what he's like and what he's done. Uh, please fill our hearts with him uh, this morning uh, so that we're more uh, able and ready to live uh, for him this week. I pray those for your glory. Amen. Amen. Uh, verse 21. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kuma, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Well, we're all afraid of uh, something, and there is in all of our heads a scenario that we can think of right now, uh, which fills us with fear. Uh, and I suggest if you're sitting there and you can't think of a scenario, then you haven't thought, thought hard enough. Uh, so I wonder what has caused you uh, the most fear in your life. Uh, I realise for some of us we may be living uh, in that scenario uh, at the moment. But there are so many things in this world uh, that make us afraid. Uh, there are things to which uh, the natural human response is fear. Fear. We've had two uh, fearful situations in Mark already, the, uh, the calming of the storm. The disciples facing that would have feared for their lives. And we've seen uh, last week we saw uh, the devil's uh, work and how fearful that was. And this morning we have two more fears to add. Uh, severe illness found in this uh, unnamed bleeding woman and in Darius's daughter, death itself. And in our lives we will all confront illness, either in ourselves or in others. And we will all have to confront and deal with death. I know for some of us uh, this morning, I recognise that is um, it's a raw reality. And so can I say to you, fear will arise in your life. And so the question is not whether something frightening will happen, but what you do with your fear when it does. We've seen two bad examples of how to deal with fear. And the disciples, when uh, facing the fear of the storm, dealt with their fear by uh, accusing Jesus of not caring. Jesus, they said, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus rebuked them. And the people who lived in Gerasenes, after seeing the power of Jesus and fearing the cost of having him around, were afraid. And that fear led to them turning from Jesus and rejecting him. And so Jesus left them. So we've had two bad examples over the last two weeks, and this morning we have what I think are two good examples of responding to fearful situations. The first is obviously Jairus, and the second is this unnamed bleeding woman. And the story starts with Jairus in uh, verses 21 through to 24. Uh, Jesus has just uh, returned across the lake uh, from his mission of delivering the demon-possessed man from the power of the devil. Uh, And when he comes back, Uh, a crowd gathers again. He is, after all, the man that everyone is talking about. Uh, But then bursting through the crowd, verse 22, comes Jairus, and he falls at the feet of Jesus, just like many have done already. And we learn that Jairus is is, uh, one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, he wouldn't have been a scribe uh, or a Pharisee or one of that kind, but he would have very much been in that world. He probably was a layman, Jew uh, but with a certain measure of responsibility and authority in the local synagogue and so uh, in the community he would certainly have had quite a lot of uh, respect uh, and possibly some power Uh, and we know that because actually Mark names him, Mark knows who he is whereas with the uh, the bleeding woman we we don't know her name, Uh, she wasn't uh, someone of authority within the community. But it's important for us to see that when Jairus comes to Jesus, he does not stand on his authority. He does not presume to have influence over Christ because of who he is. No, he falls at Christ's feet and pleads. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So whatever possible future event you fear, Jairus is currently living in his. His daughter is at death's door. His precious child is about to be taken from him. And if you're a parent here this morning, it, it just won't take much imagination uh, to, to hear his voice of distress. And, and maybe for some of us, we don't need to imagine it at all because, well, because we know that distress too well. Uh, But we see in Jairus' words that he is a man of faith. Uh, I see no doubt in his request. His trust is quite simple. He says, if you come, Jesus, and you lay your hands on her, then she will be made well. Not that she might possibly live, but she will be made well. He doesn't stand on his authority or position, but lays everything at the feet of Christ. In the face of death, uh, all our strivings after authority And positions suddenly seem more kind of irrelevant. Death is a great equaliser. It's a great humbler. And so he is a man of faith. But I think he has something more to learn about faith. Uh, I think implicitly so do we, reading the story. Uh, What it means to have faith, uh, and and what it means to have faith, uh, what we learn, it comes from one of the most surprising of places. It comes from this bleeding, unnamed woman uh, who bursts in on the scene in verse 25. And, and what we learn in summary is that faith can overcome fear. Uh, faith can overcome and cast out fear. And this unnamed, bleeding woman teaches us that. And it's, it's surprising because of who she is. Um, because of all the people who would have been afraid of Christ, she would have had more reason to be afraid. Verses 25 to 26 tell us all we need to know. It tells us that she had a discharge of blood for 12 years. In other words, she had uh, something called menstrual hemorrhaging. and I'm told periods are very painful, but she's been constantly having them every day for 12 years i wonder where you were 12 years ago jairus has been raising his beloved daughter for 12 years that's how old his daughter is while this woman has been bleeding out for 12 years now just raise your hand if you're younger than 12. this woman has been constantly physically suffering longer than you've been alive And uh, the passage tells us her physical suffering has only been getting worse. Despite all the doctors, her illness only increases, not decreases. And so as her body bleeds, she is constantly getting weaker and weaker. And she must nearly be at the limit of what a human being can endure. But it's not just physical suffering. With physical suffering comes economical problems. She spends all her money trying to find a cure with no success, obviously. So not only is she uh, physically broken, but uh, she's also destitute and poor. I uh, wonder, well, Can you imagine that shame? Because she had no money, she would have had no resources to deal with her bleeding. Uh, public appearances would have been um, shameful, to say the least. I don't know if you've ever felt sh- shame so strong uh, that you don't even want to peer- appear in uh, public. Well, this woman has been feeling that shame for 12 years. But it's not just physical, it's not just economical, it's not just social, it's spiritual as well. Leviticus 15 uh, makes clear that a Jewish woman in her period uh, shall be unclean for the rest of the day until evening. Uh, But this woman has been bleeding for 12 years, which means every day for 12 years she has been spiritually unclean. And every day for 12 years she's been unable to go to the synagogue or to the temple to worship her God's. And if anyone touched her, then they would have become unclean as well. And so by and large, she would have, had, uh, she would have been physically separated from people. So no touching, no hugging, no physical tenderness from any side. And, and who would have employed her? Who would have provided for her, this broken and poor woman? Uh, in pain and alone. I wonder, can can you imagine suffering and shame like this? And so her coming to Christ is a remarkable act of faith. Because she would have had to push through crowds who, if they had known who she was, would have been uh, repulsed by her uh, to reach a teacher who in her eyes would have been holy and clean and virtually untouchable. And so she models for us faith in the face of fear. Uh, verse 27, she hears of Christ. So she comes to Christ and she touches Christ. That is what faith is, hearing and coming to Christ. But no wonder she approaches Christ from behind. No wonder she doesn't want Christ to notice her. And so simply tries to touch the hem of his, of his robe behind him. No wonder when Christ calls her out in verse 33, she comes in fear and trembling, fragile and afraid. What would Christ want with her? What would this holy man want with her? Why would he have time for her? And so when she comes forward, she is probably expecting condemnation or rebuke, and so trembles and falls at his feet. But Christ does not rebuke her. No, he tells her and those around her, her faith has made her well, go in peace. Uh, Christ is telling us that she is a model of faith, that despite being terrified, she has had faith in Christ to come uh, and come and, and uh, fall at his feet. Her faith overcomes her fear. But it leaves us with a question, why can faith overcome fear? That's what's been demonstrated here, but why can faith overcome fear? Because it might be this morning you're a Christian and you have been or are currently afraid and you are a follower of Christ, you are trusting him, but you just feel like fear is overwhelming you. And hearing this account of a woman uh, who had uh, so many reasons to be afraid and yet uh, came to Christ anyway, uh, just makes you despair. You think, maybe I can't have that kind of faith. I can't have the kind of faith that casts out fear. Or can I say, stop looking at your faith. The woman's faith is not the power that healed her. Faith is not like a rechargeable battery you can plug in and fill up. Um, No, faith casts out fear uh, because faith has uh, an object, which is Christ. You cannot have, as a Christian, an abstract faith. It's not a concept in that way. Uh, Faith has to be in something. And so the power that healed the woman is not her faith, but what her faith was in, which was Christ. We see that in the passage. When she came to Christ, power flowed from him and healed her. Verse 29 to 30. That's where the power came from. And so for you to find faith that casts out all fears in this life, you don't look inwards and try and muster up more believing strength. You don't try and charge your faith battery. You look at Christ, the person who your faith is. Is in. Don't look inward and try harder, look at Christ. We'll only grow in faith and obedience to him and have this peace when we look at Christ. It's not so much that faith casts out fear, it's that Christ casts out fear. So when we look at him in this account this morning, what do we see? What do we see about Christ that will cause us to come again and again and fall at his feet? The answer to a fearful situation is not pretending that it's not scary, it is. The answer is to fall at the feet of Christ. So what do we see when we look at him? Well, first we see that Christ always responds. Christ always responds to those who come in faith. Around Christ, we have to notice there are thousands of people jostling for his attention. Hundreds of people with needs. Some of them with probably needs as desperate as Jairus or this bleeding woman. And yet the two he chooses to respond to are those who have come to him in faith. Lay everything at the feet of Christ and he will respond. When Jairus comes and falls at his feet, he doesn't turn him away. He doesn't say, no, sorry, I'm too busy preaching. I have other things to do. No, verse 24, he went with him. Christ Always responds, and when the bleeding woman reaches out to touch him in faith, he heals her immediately. Verse twenty nine: her bleeding stops. The passage puts it in a way that almost seems like Christ, like he can help himself because the woman had come to him in faith. It's impossible for her not, for him not to heal her. Christ responds; he responds to her faith not just by healing her physically as well, but by calling her into relationship with him. He calls her forwards. Making her face her fears. It's important for us to remember this. Christ is not an object that we have a faith that we have faith in. He is a, a person, and hence it is impossible to have faith in Christ without having a relationship with Christ. Uh, but the other thing that's important for us to realize this morning is that the timing and execution of Christ's response is His own. No one can control Jesus. No one can counsel Him. That's what. Jairus had to learn. because Let's turn to him now. Uh, Because while while Jesus is responding uh, to this woman, his daughter is dying. Uh, And do you not think he would have been excruciatingly aware of the second slipping by as Jesus turns to deal with the unnamed woman? And then, then verse 35, to his horror, his worst fears are confirmed. As they delay... Some grim-faced men approach and they say, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? It doesn't take almost any imagination to know what despair he must have been going through. But Christ overhearing says, do not fear, only believe. He calls... Jairus to have faith. He caused Jairus to have faith like the bleeding woman had faith. Uh, but Jairus must be tempted to think, Jesus, she's dead. What can you do about that? But because Jairus continues and takes Jesus home, then we know that despite the seemingly impossible, Jairus did have faith. Uh, if Jairus had chosen to base his faith only on what he thought was possible, I don't think he would have taken Jesus home. Uh, But he chooses to have faith despite the seemingly impossible. And Christ calls us as well not to fear, only believe. It's easy to trust Christ when all things seem possible. So it's easy to trust Christ that he'll care for us when we have a job. It's harder when we lose that job. Uh, It's easy to trust Christ when the illness is temporary and the doctors are in control. It's much harder to trust Christ when the illness is terminal and the doctors can't look you in the eye. So it's easier for diarist to have faith when his daughter was still alive. It must be much harder now that his daughter is dead. But regardless of the seemingly impossible nature of our circumstances, Christ says, do not fear, only believe. If we come to Christ, he will always respond, always, not necessarily in the way we want him to. His response and his timing is his own but in the way that he knows best. Um, Secondly, this morning, when we look at Christ, we see that he is tender. Christ is always tender. I think we need to learn his character from this account. Christ is compassion personified because he not only always responds, but he always responds with tenderness. We've seen his power the last two weeks over of the natural world and over the spiritual world. But he does not wield his power in this account, in harshness or brutality. He wields it in tenderness. Do you see that? To those suffering who come to him in fear, he responds tenderly. To the bleeding woman, when he calls her forward, she is trembling and afraid, having gone through suffering which we struggle to imagine. He doesn't rebuke her as she expected, but calls her daughter. My daughter, and I wonder when the last time she heard words of such endearment was. He calls her forwards with the purpose of calming her fears and giving her peace. Jesus knows the intense pain and suffering that she's been through, and he cares deeply about her emotional welfare. As to to Jairus, he doesn't question question him, he doesn't show impatience, but goes with him and later speaks words of reassurance to him and to this little girl that he raises from the dead, which we'll consider in a moment. But just for a moment, see how he raises her. Not with fireworks or a lightning bolt or a powerful cry, that's how he calms the storm. Not with those. No, he sits by her bedside and takes her hand gently and says, little girl, verse 41, I say to you, arise. Little girl, like daughter, it's a term of endearment. It carries the tone of darling, dearest, honey. Honey, he says, it's time to get up now. It's like a parent waking their child on a warm summer's day. Honey, he says, it's time to get up now. As if she really was merely just asleep and not dead. Do you see see the tenderness tenderness of Christ? I wonder, do you know the tenderness of Christ? Is that how you imagine him? he responds to you and to all your fears with tenderness. His response is measured in units of tenderness. And it's off the scale. And so when you come to him, he's not irritated by your prayers. He's not annoyed by your weaknesses. And he's not hard-hearted to your fears. He is tender. He may not always respond the way we want him to. He may not heal the illness or, or restore the job. But he is compassion personified. And what he does and how he responds, he does in perfect love. He cannot do otherwise to those who come in faith. He says to all people, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't you think this unnamed bleeding woman knew that deeply? Isaiah says of him, a bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick. He will not quench. He doesn't break the bruised and suffering. And he will not extinguish those who are struggling in faith. So you can go to him. You can cast your fears on him because he always responds tenderly. And thirdly, what this passage shows us about Christ is that Christ defeats death. Christ defeats death. At Jairus' house, his daughter is dead. So when Jesus comes and announces in verse 39 that she is merely asleep, the mourners begin to laugh. And maybe we don't blame them. It's absurd. The mourners know that she's dead. Uh, These mourners, by the way, uh, probably were uh, paid professional mourners, hence their tears easily turn to laughter. But But the Jewish culture, the Jews, would have known what a dead person looked like. And they probably would have known Far better than we do, to be honest. And so uh, their tears easily turn to laughter and they turn from Christ. But to Jesus, death has no power. He can say, verse 39, that she is sleeping because to Jesus, it's as if she really is. Uh, to Jesus, there's no difference in waking someone from a nap and raising them from the dead. Just reflect on that for a moment. He can reach down and pull this little girl out of the arms of death, just as if he was waking her from a nap. And he does. He says, honey, it's time to get up now. And the girl is raised to new life and rubbing death from her eyes, she begins to walk around and dying has clearly given her an appetite because Jesus commands that she has given something to eat. This girl really was dead and now is really alive. Jesus, therefore, wields a power that no one else in the whole of human history has wielded. Power to defeat death. And can I say for this world, that is really good news. Because what is humanity's greatest problem? Death. What is humanity's greatest enemy? Death. What happened at the fall? Death was ushered in. And to be honest, most of our fears are rooted in death. Illness or financial trouble or dangerous situations. Death kind of lies behind all of those, like a bad smell. And the more we are exposed to those things, the worse the illness is, the worse the financial trouble, Well, the more aware of death we are and the more afraid we become. And the disciples were afraid in the boat uh, because suddenly the reality of death was presented to them. And and humanity has utterly failed to deal with the problem. People have tried in different ways. Some people, uh, I think our culture particularly, kind of ignores death and sweeps it under the carpet. They hide away the ill people and the old people away out of sight. And they pretend that it's not waiting for us until uh, we're all at death's door itself. Some slow the onset of death, they push it as far into the future as well. They do it through. uh, as far as future as possible. They do it through good health and good medicine, but no matter how far you push it, it will still be there. Some embrace death. It's all part of the circle of life, they say. Nature gave to us, and we give back to nature, and that's just the way it is. And, And I wonder, if you're not a Christian this morning, what is your solution to death? Because whatever it is, it's not enough. There is one man who has solved death. And there's one man who has power over death. And that is Jesus Christ. And ultimately, he solves death on the cross by paying the penalty of sin, the thing that earned death in the first place. And when he raises this little girl, he's setting into stone his own death. He's banking her death into his account. And so, even now, the shadow of the cross is looming. And the great Christian hope, the great Christian truth, is that Jesus didn't stay death. He showed that death was dealt with by rising from the grave. So if you turn and trust in him, even though you die, one day you will live again. Just as he raised this little girl from the embrace of death, if you trust him, one day when he returns, he will say to you, honey, it's time to get up now and you will join him in his glory, he has solved death, he has taken death's sting and this passage is just a foretaste of that and yet the world does not come to him the world closes their eyes to their only hope it rejects the one person who can save them and they turn to other solutions which are not really solutions at all and say the doctors scramble and our culture distracts us And the therapists counsel us. But why do they not come to Christ? Why do they not come to the one great physician who can truly cure death? Friends, we live in a world full of dying people. And we know the one person who can save them all. Our friends are dying and our family is dying. And we're painfully aware of that but we know Christ who can deliver them from death. So is not your heart breaking? Tell them about Christ. He is the great physician who has cured death. But maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're afraid that when you die, you won't wake up again. Well, don't look inwards. Don't try and charge your belief in Christ. Your faith is not a battery. Look at the person your faith is in dwell on that man because he has more tenderness and concern for your life than you do yourself and he died on a cross to prove that so replace your fear of death if you're afraid of death not simply by trying hard and not to be afraid but replace your fears with Christ cast out your fears and take in more of Christ look at who he is and what he's done and what he will do and the more you see Christ and what he's like the more you trust the person of Christ the more like this bleeding woman can you find peace and it's a peace that nothing else in this world can bring because there is no solution to death apart from in Jesus Christ let's pray Our Father, thank you that Christ has defeated death for us. Thank you that means we have a great hope for our futures. Uh, but thank you as well this passage shows us the tenderness of Christ, shows us his response to us when we come to him in faith. Uh, please uh, sink those truths more deeply into our hearts this week. Uh, in his name we pray. Amen.